Trigger warning. Due to his constrained English vocabulary, Martin often leans on crude language and swearing to make his point. I blame it on his northern heritage and lack of creativity. Matt is also a bit rough. You are hereby cautioned. Let's go and welcome to another episode of Friday Physio Confession Podcast. Yet again, it's only me, Martin, hosting this show because Matt is a busy guy. But luckily and finally, I can introduce you guys. Uh, well, I would call him a, a, a Twitter friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, we seem to realign quite a lot on Twitter and, and find <laughs> each other funny a bit. And his from all across the pond, as they say, one of the new settlers into the new world. <laughs> and he's pretty examined that he's an uh, assistant professor and a uh, lecturer or teacher, and that's his title. And he has some Norton heritage. I do, uh, which I do. Which explains why I like him. But <laughs> please welcome the, on, the one and only Andy Wicks. Hello, right, hello. Welcome, Andy. Thank you very much yeah. for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. No, you're not. I am. Probably. I am happy to be here. Yeah. Well, you probably regret it. <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, so, Andy, can you uh, tell us about yourself and uh, what you do and uh, where you do it? Yeah. Uh, so, I am a physical therapist, as we call it in the States, although I really like the term physiotherapist better. And I wish that we used that term because I just think it's cooler. Yeah. Um, in uh, the state of Michigan in the United States, I worked in the clinic for about 11 years working in the neuro population and most specifically with the traumatic brain injury population. Those are my people. Those are, I love, I love working in that population. Yeah. People um, can talk back, right? Oh, that's man, oh your, yeah. man, they, they, the stories I could tell the stories I might tell, who knows? Yeah. Um, and then uh, just recently, I transitioned full-time to teaching. So I teach at Grand Valley State University in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in their physical therapy program, um, which is a three-year doctorate program. And I teach uh, a lot of the neuro curriculum along with some um, kind of advanced clinical decision-making classes. And I will be teaching for the first time coming up, actually just a few weeks, a teaching for physical therapists class which to most of my understanding is talking to them about uh, not to make uh, PTs teachers, but to how they can communicate best with patients, family members, external stakeholders, things like that. Yeah, nice. And yeah. the best ways to communicate most effectively. So I'm looking forward yeah. to that. Yeah. How would you communicate most effectively? That's yeah, a, exactly. That's a whole, that's a, <laughs> when you want to put it down into 30 minutes lectures and just go boom. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good. good Simple, good, right? Good. Easy. Easy stuff. Easy. Easy squeezy. <laughs> Communication. Easiest part of physio. Exactly. Everybody knows that. But all right. So, so just recently transitioned from you know working clinically and to be a teacher. How do you find that? It was. Uh, it's. It's been a goal of mine career wise for a long time. Um, but it is an interesting 
transition. Definitely. I miss the clinic. I miss working with my patients where, where I worked, uh, was a, was a unique setting in that I had some therapeutic relationships that lasted years because this was a facility where we also had people that lived there long-term. And so I really got to know some of these patients really well. Um, I miss that the challenge and the, 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 the clinical puzzle of some neuro patients where they, they just don't, you really got to figure out what's going on, what makes them tick and, and how to, how to reach them. Um, yeah. I don't miss the paperwork or the billing or any oh. of that stuff, <laughs> uh, fuck so, yeah. but I have other, yeah. other new problems that I have to deal with. So you know, there's no, <laughs> there's no perfect solution, but I, I do miss the clinic, but I really, really enjoy teaching and I really enjoy having these students come up to me and, and have this, the, the interactions with them about, I have to remind myself, they, they really don't know what they don't know yet. There's, they're still very kind of focused on getting the, the knowledge and kind of cramming it in their heads, but even just recognizing the vast, the vast things that PTs and physios do, which is, to me is one of my favorite parts. Um, yeah. so that's, that's one thing I really like doing. And that's one thing I, I do a podcast as well. And that's one of my favorite things about the podcast is just talking to people who do cool stuff that I have no idea about. Yeah. But much not uh not like this podcast as I just like to shit on the whole hey, profession. That's an important that's an important part yeah. of the work too. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you find uh that students like I I just I'm, what am I thinking? Yeah. What is the kind of questions you find that students want answers to? Yeah. The most what is there some some red line uh, I think a lot of it has to do with what, when I teach specifically, so I, I work on the neuro examination and interventions piece of it. That's a big part of what I do. And a lot of the way we teach it is through these case studies where they'll work with a partner and one will play the patient and one will play the therapist to try to work on a certain aspect of treatment, whether it might be, for example, you know, balance impairments or motor control impairments or something like this. But what we try to do are, are base these patients on real real people, you know, that, that we've seen in the clinic over time. And a lot of what I get is like, will you really see this in the clinic? Will you really okay. see this in the clinic? Or does it always look like this in the clinic? And I have to say, oftentimes like it can look like this. It probably <laughs> will look slightly different or yeah. yes, this was a real patient who, as soon as you turned your back on them, they would try to get up and walk away, you know, or, or these kind of weird cognitive behavioral things or trying to explain to someone the concept of neglect is really hard oh, for yeah. someone who's never seen neglect yeah. to try to tell them like, you know, for this person, this one half of the world just doesn't exist for them. And so those are really hard. It's hard to explain that, uh, you know, in a teacher student relationship, because it's really like, you just got to see it. And then yeah. once you've seen it, then all of a sudden we can have a conversation about it. But until you do that, ugh, I'm just kind of saying words at you that don't make a lot of sense. Those are the challenging parts. But at the same time, I like, you know, I, I get frustrated when I try to, to explain these things and, and the students don't have a frame of reference, but it's not their fault. But when they come back from the clinic and all of a sudden they're like, Andy, I saw a patient with neglect and I get it now. I'm like, yes. I'm like, all right, yeah. now we can talk about it. Because yeah, you exactly. see, yeah. like you see how weird it can be. People are weird, Martin. 
Yeah, they are. They are, and especially like when we're talking about neuro and and, and um, brain damage and and stuff like that, it gets really, really weird, really fast. Yeah, and that actually reminds me. Uh, well, I was a student myself. We were on the um, intensive care unit mm-hmm. up in uh, up in Tromsø, and uh, there was this elderly gentleman that had a stroke. Okay, and he uh, he had lost all his, you know, social skills, if you could call them, even what is yeah. right to do and what is right to not. And he was quite frustrated because he knew, he was aware that he had lost his, you know, his, um, his, his filter. Yeah, filters, yeah. <laughs> and he would say the nastiest sexualized <laughs> stuff oh, to, to, you know, to female nurses. And yep. he was so ashamed. I mean, it was like... I came to, it was one of my placements, so I came to work uh, in a bit, and he was like, Martin, thank God this weekend there was just this old woman and a male nurse here. <laughs> so I, oh. I, I couldn't say anything. That, and how hard is that for the patient? Like, especially yeah. when he knows, like he knows yeah. he's not trying to say that, but that's what comes out of his mouth and yeah. how probably shocking and embarrassing it is for him. Yeah. And that is one thing. It's like, it's one thing to explain to a student what expressive aphasia is or even just like that those kind of communication disorders that can come from any neurological disorder but which is you know important on the one hand but then to take it a step further and to say how do you think this guy felt yeah like the fact that he knew he was saying things that he shouldn't be saying and probably has never said in his life yeah. and now it's all that's coming out of his mouth and how embarrassing that is for him and just that's a, a big part of what i try to teach is uh, just to see patients in a more holistic humanistic perspective to realize like, yes, he has a diagnosis that you need to treat. But at the same time, this is a person who has hopes and dreams and feelings and things like that. And, and if you ignore those things, your treatment session is going to suffer and he will not get the best care. But if you could acknowledge with him of like, man, that sucks. Or even, you know, maybe showing some humor is a good thing. Maybe not. I don't know. It depends on the context, but even just to acknowledge for him, like, that's got to be really hard. You know, yeah. that in itself is going to open a lot of doors and make your treatment sessions so much better. Yeah. And I had a patient yeah. walk out of his room once. Uh, he had a brain injury, walked out of his room completely naked from the waist down and could not be convinced that he was naked from the waist down. That we like, you know, <laughs> sir, you have to go in and put some pants on. He's like, I have pants on. No, no, you don't. You need to go back and put some pants on, please. I have pants on. You know, yeah. just. You don't teach you those things in PT school. No, they don't. <laughs> Real life stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so so that is a you know of what you see in students that the the real life impact instead of a textbook stuff. Yeah, and the changes that that real life has to do. Or don't have has to do. That's the wrong choice of words. It's been a while since I, since I've talked English now, and you just have to. <laughs> Your English me. is a million percent better than my Norwegian, and I will say I took three semesters of Norwegian in college and can barely remember anything. So my hats off. Yeah, but Norwegian is pretty weird. If you just get in a car and drive thirty minutes, they speak completely different dialects. There's people in in this country, and we're not we're just above five million. So I I can't understand. <laughs> I and I once went to Norway. I spent uh, I spent a few weeks in Oslo once, and everyone spoke perfect English anyway. So my yeah. poor Norwegian skills were completely unnecessary. 
sorry, I have to call. <coughs> I've been sick for three weeks. I'm still coughing. Oh, sorry. no. Yeah. It's insane. Okay, so uh, the question is about real-life uh, clinics yeah. or something. That's, uh, it's a big part of what you see in students. But, you know, you have to admit that the feeling of being the hero in their eyes, they know it all. That's what keeps you flowing. Isn't I mean, there is a little bit of the ego. Yes, you got to yeah. admit that. That that feed they... the ego always feed the ego. <laughs> There's a little bit of that. I like I said, I have to remind myself how little they know, and yeah. and I can't take for granted that they would know something that I, as a veteran clinician, just kind of take for granted, and they have no concept of it. Yeah. So I have to have to back things down sometimes and remember, like, okay, we're we're truly building the foundation here. And going from there, it is fun. I get, you know, I have a little folder of, you know, emails that students send me of, of, you know, thank you emails and stuff like that, that if I'm oh. ever having a crappy day, I'll open that folder and read and be like, okay. Yeah. Oh. This is nice. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> feed the ego, feed the ego. Totally. Yes. I mean, hey, we all need to do it, right? We all yeah. need to do it. Yeah, we do. We do. That's... <laughs> all right. Well, is there some things within teaching that, uh, that you find quite you're passionate about. Like I yeah. talked to I talked to to Anna Maria Massieri and she teaches uh, soft tissue skills and okay. soft tissue therapy and she's quite you know it's a, she's quite motivated and frustrated about bringing evidence based practice into yeah. you know, manual therapy and what can you yeah. do what can't you do? Do you have some something you like? I want this in the program. I want my students to know this, to, yep. to embody this. So what I, one of the things uh, in, the, in the transition to teaching is that, excuse me, I need to develop my own research agenda, which I will admit is something that's very daunting to me because it's not, I haven't done research since I was in PT school. And my research project in PT school is on bunions, <laughs> which I don't really care about, but. That was that was what was presented to me, and I learned, and it was you know we got published. Oh, fucking bunions, so I have a yeah. published article about uh, about theories of bunion formation. Um, oh, I love but it. yeah, that's not what I'm passionate about. <laughs> what I am passionate about is, um, as I said, kind of the, the the humanistic side of, I guess to say to bring some humanities into physical therapy, physiotherapy, into the education of that, and also to look at trauma informed care. I don't know if that's a, if a term that is that is familiar to to you, um, but it's it's a it's a concept. It's a very broad concept, and to look at it specifically within the lens of physiotherapy, okay. to say that to recognize that your patients have had past experiences of trauma, whether it is physical, uh, emotional, sexual, all different kinds of trauma, um, and that those experiences essentially affect their day-to-day -day interactions today. I'm, I'm being, I'm painting with, I'm, I'm being very over, oh. oversimplification here, but, um, but that to recognize that is in physical therapy, that if you don't acknowledge and address those things with your patients, you might actually do things to re-traumatize them. So using the example uh, of someone who's, who has been abused, physically abused, let's say they were assaulted that, you know, who, who knows what the, what the, what the circumstances were, but if you not that, and I'm not saying you have to ask every one of your patients, like, have you been assaulted? Because that's not no. practical or necessarily appropriate. No, but to recognize like, 
I'm a big guy. I'm six feet four. I'm almost two meters tall. Okay. And fuck, to fuck say, you. Right. <laughs> okay. Hey, it's my Carry proud, on. it's my Norwegian heritage. Okay. Um, yeah. It's probably more of the Danish side, but anyway, um, <laughs> but I'm a big guy is, is the point. And if I'm working with a, let's say a female patient who is petite. Okay. Yeah. Let's say they're very small for me to potentially work with them in a private treatment room. That's small has only one entrance and exit. And like that, that can be a very frightening thing for someone who doesn't know me. You know, and if they've had a bad experience where let's say they got cornered in a, at a party once by someone who was much bigger than them and, and assaulted them, like yeah. that interaction could trigger something. And all of a sudden we've gone from a therapeutic session to what, what the hell just happened here. I'm, you know, I have a patient who's crying or screaming or trying to get out the door or whatever. So to recognize that those situations exist and to position yourself with your patient so that you can create a safe space for them. So yes, maybe that we have private treatment rooms, but maybe they are, you know, I don't know, there's windows or there's something where they feel like they have an out um, to be very open and honest with your patients about what you're wanting to do and why you're wanting to do it. And if they're not okay with that, that we have other options that we can do to make it much more of a collaborative relationship instead of a, I, I'm going to do this and you're just going to sit there and take it. But to, more, to be more yeah. of, you know, I feel like because of your back pain and what you're telling me, treatment A and treatment B are going to be what I think are the most effective, but that would require me putting my hands on you and doing this and that. And if you're not okay with that and you want to try something else, we can try something else to give them some ownership of the process and give them some, a feeling like I am not imposing anything on them. Yeah. So to recognize that aspect of it and to, I think to, to share with students, it's not, it's not if you're going to work with a patient with trauma, it's when you work with a patient with trauma, because your patients have been traumatized in some way or another. And yeah. it's much more common than you realize it's, it's for some people less of a big deal than it is to others, but you don't know that just by looking at them. You know, you can't necessarily tell that the patient that walked through the door has, you know, is in an abusive relationship or had abusive parents or whatever it might be. So it's, it's a recognition of, of that. And I think if we could teach students to be a clinician that keeps those factors in mind and any sort of interaction, I think we'll get better outcomes and we'll get better yeah. outcomes, meaning we'll get better patient compliance because they'll recognize you as an ally, as a trusted ally, instead of this stranger who's telling them what to do. Um, but also that, you know, if we want to look strictly at objective measures, it'll be more effective with shorter, with shorter episodes of care, saving money, all these things that ensure yeah. in America that insurers care about. So yeah. anyway, that's my big thing. That's your big. And for me, this sounds like uh, being or creating awareness of who you are, what you do, the place you're in. Yeah, and, uh, and putting a patient into that context, and and I'm also reminded of a, a lot of you know social constructivism that your your life, your experiences, will create your perceptions yeah. of reality and how you how you deal with it. Yep. So yeah, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. So that that's your your big deal. That's my big deal. That's it will be my, it will be my big deal. <laughs> yeah, it will. But how is it, when you try to 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 translate it also or 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 um, teach 
about it and talk about it with your students? How is it recepted? I think so far that I the students are receptive to it, especially students who've been out in the clinic and I think have a, even just that taste of what that's like because they're starting to see that they're starting to recognize the difference between what we teach, what, what the textbook says and what the real world is. They're starting to recognize that difference and, and what that difference is, is just human existence. And, you know, we don't fit into nice little categories. Um, so I, th those students I think are more receptive to it. I think students who haven't had that experience or the ones who are, are focused on the next test, the next project, the next assignment, you know, it's like, if I'm not being graded on it, that's hard to put value to it in school, which is a really unfortunate thing. So I have to figure out ways. I have a couple people that I've talked to um, and, and who do, who have these kind of perspectives in teaching. And the best advice that I've taken from that so far is not necessarily to have like one specific class about, you know, trauma informed care or whatever you want to call it, but really just making it an element throughout the entire curriculum. It's just an ingredient of everything that you teach. So it becomes it becomes the norm of what you teach and what the expectation is. So it, it's it's less of like having the guest speaker come in and talk about this one special topic one time that, yeah, yeah if you're paying attention, great. If not, if you missed that day, oh, well. It's just something that they're going to get from day one. So, yeah. uh, you so know, the good news is I feel like I have... bringing the humanities into it. Yeah, yeah just really. I mean, giving, which, giving the if you think about it, that's what we are. It shouldn't be hard. You know, we're no, just people. Really. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so, I'm going to cough again. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. For five days there, I thought I was going to die, but that's another, mm. not a topic for another podcast. But <laughs> Okay. So this is quite interesting because, you know, when we bring humanities into it and we bring, we, we acknowledge that we we are humans ourselves as clinicians. We're not diagnostic yeah. robots. We're, we're bringing stuff with ourselves, and yeah. we are in, and we're affecting people, either you know consciously or subconsciously in the context, in the clinic, uh, in the space we are in, and everything. Uh, I always find that at some point it clashes against those that we call out my professionality. Is it talking about? You know, suit and a tie. It's that. <laughs> right. That's a whole different soapbox, but I'm happy to talk yeah. about it. Yeah. But in my, you know, some, the reason why I started this podcast and reasons why I started the you know, whole confession thingy on, on, on Twitter was you know, to, to bring this humanity into it, you know, yeah. bring our failures to front. And all and my making it okay. That's what I love about yeah, it. And making it okay. You just, you but, just like, you poke some fun at it and you make it okay. And we're like, yeah, hey, I've been there. Yeah, exactly. But what I've been, I'm, I've been crashing with my teachers from from day one at at physio and and other uh, my you know guidance counselor or, or yep. yeah, what you want to call them, because and I've always heard that you're not professional, you're you know you know you're not acting professional. But meanwhile, my whole thinking has been let's be friends. With the person mm -hmm. in front of me, let's you know work together and create that safe space. And uh, so, for me, those two things bringing humanities into into physio and into the facing will, at some point, clash against the old traditional yeah way of thinking around professionality. Yeah, and I think what what 
what I could take away from that is that professionalism is for some people, professionalism means things like wearing a tie and being very proper and very, there's a, there's a distance that is maintained between you and the patient. And I think this is taught, yeah. this was taught for a long time about keeping your, it's almost like a self-preservation thing. If you can't get too involved, you can't get too close because you're going to burn out. You're going to get it. You come enmeshed with your patients. You're going to, you know, this and that and the other. Yeah. And I, I agree with you in that that seems unnatural and, and artificial. I don't feel yeah. like it needs to be there that to me, professionalism doesn't mean wearing a tie. Um, to, to me, professionalism means acting ethically, acting in the best, you know, the best interest of my patient. Um, you know, uh, obviously acting legally, not wanting to be breaking any laws and going to jail. Um, I tell my students a lot, it's really hard to get a professional license and it's even harder to get one back. So, yeah, you know, good point. <laughs> don't be a dumbass and do something illegal. Yeah. Um, like to me, those are, those are professional traits. If you are someone who is reliable and honest and curious and ethical, whatever ethical means, I mean, ethical is a very broad term, but if you are those yeah. things, the professionalism is going to take care of itself, you know? And I think that we're, we're enforcing what each other is saying and that, yes, if I don't create that safe space for my patient where they can be comfortable enough to do whatever they want um, and, and, and really open up to me. We've all had experiences like that. I'm sure with, with, with teachers, with healthcare professionals, if you have someone who is just clearly in there, you know, going through the motions or following the checklist, you know, we, uh, I, I tune them out. That's like, if you don't have the time to even look at me, look me in the eye and have a conversation with me, even if it's as simple as taking 30 seconds to start the conversation with, something personal that's not even about what this relationship is about, you know, like recognizing, Oh, if I'm wearing a, a, a sports team shirt, like talk about that team for a second, recognize yeah. that, Hey, I might have some interest or something like that. You know, yeah. I think pediatricians are good at this, that they know how to with kids establish that boundary first or that, re that relationship, because I think with kids, it's even harder if you don't give them that, that, kids aren't going to give you anything, but if you can wreck like, wow, that's a really cool Superman shirt you have, yeah. whatever. All of a sudden, Oh, okay. You, hey, you like Superman. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't think anyone would call a pediatrician unprofessional for doing that. You know, like, come on, <laughs> this, this isn't hard. Yeah. This isn't hard. I'm going to steal make, that. We make it hard. I'm steal it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, oh, I would love for one of your students to come, come, uh, work with me a bit and just come back to you and and he said he threatened to flick one of his patients on the nipple <laughs> is that is that common <laughs> that was something you do <laughs> like well that's, they do they do that in norway they don't do that here yeah yeah <laughs> it's so it's so contextualized it's so it's so, so much broader for me you know yeah and uh <laughs> because of one of the the greatest uh, subjectives i've ever taken was because i uh you know i farted in my own office <laughs> thinking it was just going to be sound and no smell and it was terrible 
And it was just <laughs> awful. I opened up my windows and my next patient was waiting on me. And I just had to leave my office, go up, you know, in, in the waiting room and sit down beside this person and say, <laughs> so I fought in my office. It's insane. We can't go in there for a couple of minutes. And and we ended oh. up just talking, you know, yeah. out there in the in, in, in the waiting area. Oh, there was no people around, obviously. Yeah. Uh, for us. So we had some quiet kind of privacy. And it's ended up being the best ever subjective <laughs> I've ever taken. So when we eventually, you know, dared to go into my office, we just oh yeah, it was great. You had a very you you established a common bond. Hey, everybody yeah. farts, man. I had when I was a student, (laughs) when I was a student in my first big clinical rotation. So like my first 10 week rotation and I was at a hospital that was, it's kind of the smaller regional hospital, but it had uh, an inpatient rehab unit attached to it. So I would see some patients in acute care. And then if they transitioned down to the rehab center, I'd go right with them, which was pretty cool. It's what my first real experience with that model that I fell in love with. Um, And I was working with a woman who was a recently retired and had both of her knees replaced at the same time, which I don't recommend. And she was in the inpatient oh, yeah. rehab just for a couple of days to get stronger before she could go home. So I'm talking with her. I've had my own knee replaced. I had my knee replaced in my twenties actually from a long story of trauma, but I was using that to kind of break the ice. Cause this woman, I could tell she was very like, she was in a lot of pain. She was very nervous and very uncomfortable and just yeah. sitting on the edge of the bed, just kind of like holding herself very rigidly. And her daughter was in the room with her. Her daughter is probably about my age and just talking with this woman and trying to get her to relax a little bit. And I say, well, I've had, you know, my own knee replaced. I've kind of been through what you've gone through, but you did two of them at once. So that's even more impressive. And so we were, she started to asking me like, well, what can I do and what can't I do since my surgery? Things like that. And I said, well, yeah, that's, you know, my knee doesn't hurt anymore. And I can do all these things. And I said, I can't really, it's not very comfortable to kneel on that knee, especially on like a concrete floor or something like that. But I can do most other things. <laughs> she leans in close and she says, does this mean I can't be on top for sex anymore? <laughs> and her daughter just goes, mother. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, if you have sex on concrete floors a lot, probably not. It's not going to be very comfortable. <laughs> and we got along great after that. And she was great you know but just like yeah recognize that she's got needs her daughter however was mortified yeah (laughs) which i think was also one of the reasons why that woman did it yeah probably but that just goes to show that uh, you know when when you get hurt you get injured you get pain it's not about oh my knee hurts or oh my shoulder hurts it's about everything else yeah what about my workout how am i gonna do this how am i gonna do that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So it's it's about life essentially, and I, I think that's quite important to you know, get a grasp on real quickly. Even and teasing th- those things out are not easy in the clinic. You know, during the subjective, what do you want for people? People will concentrate and think it, think in line of a doctorate's appointment, and you know, give you the symptoms and everything. But it's hard to tease out that what does it mean to you in your life? You yeah. Know? What, what can't you do that you want to be able to do? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and that's, and I, if, if I can get my students to think in those terms when they're talking to their patients in terms of, especially in terms of writing goals, that's always a struggle for students to learn. How do I write a good goal? Yeah. I'm like, well, you can always look at things like range of motion or strength. Those are important, but 
in the end, I would say, you know, if a student only writes a goal about, we'll increase range of motion from this to this, but like, so what, why big deal? Yeah. You know, why do you want to increase the range of motion so they can, you know, now so they can scratch their back. Oh, okay. That makes more sense now. So let's talk about yeah. that. Let's talk about independence and, and, and things like that. And once they kind of, once that clicks, then you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's not so much about how strong they are. It's can they do for themselves what they want to do? Can they live life like they want to live it? Yeah. And they get so cool when, when we are able to make those changes for our patients and see that. I mean, we all have, we've all had those moments where we're like, this is why I do what I do because I just watched yeah. this patient stand up and walk to their spouse for the first time in weeks yeah. or something like that. Like, yeah. Talk happens about feeding the ego. Me. Yeah. Happens very rarely with me. It's so like, <laughs> no, this isn't working. I'm going home. But, well, you can, you can, you can, you can say hi to your students for me and then tell them I'm, I'm 10. Well, uh, well, just uh, 10 or more years into clinical life. And I still struggle with creating good goals. Exactly. It's, so, I think that's an important thing. And I'm glad you said that because I think that's one thing that maybe we can do a better job of teaching is that it's not like once you get out into the clinic, then you're good at everything. It's no. like, you're going to get out in the clinic and guess what? This is just the next step and you're going to continue to learn and struggle. And yeah, yeah. it's I, like, yeah. You still need, it's like when you, when we got our first baby, we got our first daughter and both me and, and my wife uh, just you know left the hospital. And the first night was like, are they really just letting us go home <laughs> without any adult supervision? Yeah. With the baby? Shouldn't we be supervised right now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the first year, first year, first couple of years uh, out in the clinic on your own, you, you really fast, you get past that point of, you know, I know everything. I know a lot. And then just, isn't there anyone that can, you know, watch me or, you know, yeah, quiz me or something. Just give me something to hold on to that I can understand. So that's you know, a, you know that's the, a, the Dunning-Kruger effect? Are you familiar with that? Yeah. yeah. That's a big one. That's, that's a, man, if I, if I can teach my students about that. If I could teach them one thing, I'm going to teach them about the Dunning-Kruger effect and be like, find where you are on this map. And yeah. hopefully it's not at the town, not at the top of Mount Stupid. Oh my God. That's just, it's just, but we all got to go through it. We all got to go through it. Don't we? Yeah. That That's one of the, the biggest things that I, I, I quite um, want to get for is that, you know, you see experts doing this and that, and you go to courses and, and we're just amazed of the amount of knowledge and we and we are trying to to you know we're stressing about getting to that you know level and we keep forgetting that this wasn't knee specialist and this wasn't a shoulder specialist yeah. they have done this a long time yeah. you know this is what they know and this is what they do and, and you know Trying to get on that level is just absurd. Try to especially after absorb, a weekend course. <laughs> yeah, so absorb what we can, implement it into what you already do, and just keep on trudging, keep on working with everything. Yeah. And that took a, lo a long time for me to come to that point where I was just like, okay, so I, I don't know as much about shoulders as Joe Gibson or Adam Eakins, and I <laughs> yeah don't know anything about knees and hips that's 
anywhere near Eric Mira. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that's uh, and that's okay, and that's okay, yeah, because you still okay. know you still know enough to help someone get better. Yeah, probably yeah, some some. <laughs> so I'll I think I rather think my my patients get better. You know, it, it, it's I just keep them around for long enough that you just know time itself will <laughs> work it out. Yeah, or, and then just you yeah. just cl- take credit for it. Oh fuck! I take care of it for everything. I just <laughs> oh my knee feels better. Yeah, yeah, that was. I told You're you. Welcome. I told you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But all right. So now uh, I want to juicy stuff, Andy. You know I want to juicy stuff. And what fuck ups did you do in your <laughs> clinical life that made you turn into teaching? <laughs> what 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 made me run away from clinical? Yeah. Um, so I've had, I've used these stories, uh, for almost every student I've had in the clinic, Mm. especially when they have a fuck up day and they're just like, Oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to get kicked out of school, you know? And it's like to, to give someone the, the spectrum of how bad did you fuck up? Okay. Was it a, was it a, did you maybe leave a hot pack on a couple minutes too long? Fuck ups. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Or, you know, did you send a patient to the hospital? And, you know, there's a, there's a whole range of stuff in between. And uh, most of the time what my students are worried about are very, very small, minor things. Like, yeah, you, you know, maybe should have checked their vitals a little more frequently, or maybe you should have been guarding a little bit differently or this and that and the other. <clears throat> but in the end, I have to tell them like, hey, did you, did you get them to where you did, did they accomplish what you wanted them to accomplish? Yes. Was it pretty? Maybe not, but I'm not awarding style points. So no worries, <laughs> but I have, uh, I'm proud to say maybe proud <laughs> isn't the right word, but I, I can say, uh, that I have, uh, broken three patients bones. Oh, in my career. yes. Uh, and actually what's, I think makes it even better is, one of them was the same patient on two different occasions. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, that made me cough. All yeah. right, I want to yep. hear this. So the first one was a a, a patient I was working with, um, and he's all. And fortunately for me, both of these patients they were just the nicest guys, and I think that's one of the important things to remember here. Because if they had been other patients, maybe these stories I would I would not be telling them from my yeah, current situation. Yeah. But we were doing a. Uh, a test that it needed him to to run over a stretch of 20 meters <clears throat> and and he wasn't the most coordinated guy but I wasn't I mean he 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 moved around independently didn't re- you have an assistive device or anything like that so I wasn't too too worried I should have known though he's also a guy that if you ask him to do 10 repetitions he'll give you 20 you know more is better so of course when all he really had to do was jog he like sprinted down the hallway as fast as he could and then lost his balance and fell. And he had a uh, an elbow contracture from, from some heterotopic ossification. Okay. So his elbow only bent about that far. And of course he landed and, and snaps his arm. And I saw it and I was like, ah, no. And so I get him up and, and he's like, ah, ooh, it's a little sore. I'm like, yeah, I bet it is. Cause you probably just snapped a whole bunch of scar tissue, but I'm looking, you know, I'm, I'm palpating. I'm giving him all these kinds of tests. I'm like nothing. He's not like, Nothing's giving him a sharp pain. I'm like, okay, let's just 
let's put a whole bunch of ice on this thing and and I'm going to check you tomorrow and we're going to see how we're doing. And, uh, and so the next day he's like, yeah, it's a little sore, but you know, it's okay. I'm like, all right. So I guess we dodged a bullet on this one. Six weeks later, he's like, my elbow still really hurts. I'm like, oh no. Oh. So he went to the doctor and had a fracture in his radial head from this whole thing. So oh. I don't think they, I think they just put him in a sling for a little bit. It wasn't a big deal. So that was the first yeah. one. That, okay. Yeah. Okay. That was the first one. They get better from here. <laughs> so the next two were with the same patient on two separate occasions. And again, super nice guy. Uh, he was, he had some dystonia in his right arm. So his right arm kind of shook and his, th- and his hand was kind of stuck in a, like a thumbs up position. Um, and we were working on, uh, like getting some trunk motion and, and trying to work on getting that right arm, his dominant arm, um, to move. And he used to play hockey. And so he was used to fighting. So I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's try some sparring here. And it was, of course, Friday afternoon. Okay. They always happen on a Friday afternoon. Best time. We had like 10 minutes left in our session. And I'm like, oh, what can we do for just a few minutes? And he's like, let's do that sparring thing again, Andy. Like, all right. But I need to like, I would normally wrap his hand into kind of a fist to, or, you know, to protect him. He's like, I don't worry about the rest. Let's just, you know, get out the pads. First mistake. Okay. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, I got the sparring pads on and like, give it a swing. And he swings. And of course he leads with his thumb. And his thumb hits the pad, and you can just hear it go. I'm like, and he was like, ah, ooh, like we've all been there. We've all jammed our finger. You can hear it. You're like, oh, that must have hurt. And he's like, ooh, yeah, that hurts. Yeah. And and I I look at his hand, and it's there. It's swelling a little bit. And he's like, again, this is a guy who played hockey for years. He's like, ah, it's probably okay. He's kind of wiggling it back and forth, and I'm moving it around. And I'm like, I'm thumping on it. I'm, I'm doing like percussion tests and stuff like this. And it's again. It's like, no, it's just, it's a little sore. I think I just jammed it. Okay. Again, Friday afternoon. And he's an outpatient. So I'm like, he goes home with his, goes home with his wife. And I see him on Monday and he comes in and he is white as a ghost. And his thumb is like the size of a potato. Like it's just, it's just huge. And he's like shaking like this. I'm like, oh, why didn't you go get it looked at? He's like, do you think I should? <laughs> yeah, I needed to go get this looked at. And he had two fractures in his thumb. <sighs> and so, so I'm like, all right, let's go. And he had, he had to surgery. And also because he had such tremors in his hand, I think they tried to do it without, fix it without surgery first, but because he had so many tremors in his hand, like the bones couldn't knit. So they ended up having a surgery on that one. So, okay. We get through that. He so I think it's almost a year later now. Same patient, uh, working with him now on, and he's a guy. He's like my height, big guy, but he's probably three hundred pounds, big big guy. And he was he was, we're working on some higher level training. And he's again another guy that you ask him to do ten reps, he's going to give you a hundred reps. Just a guy that will run through a wall for you. And so he wanted to. He wanted to work on, uh, I think he had just watched like a strongman competition or like, you know, one of those yeah. ultimate beast master kind of shows. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah. I want to pull something. Like, All right. That sounds fun. So I had a metal basket and I loaded it up and again, he's a big guy. So I'm like, I'm going to toss a bunch of stuff in here. So I think I had about 80 pounds, you know, what, 40 kilos of stuff in it and then used, uh, uh, one of those weighted ropes, those like battle ropes. Okay. You know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about? 
And that was that in itself was probably about 20 kilos and tied the basket to him with that weighted rope, kind of like across his chest and hooked him up like a horse to a plow. And I said, all right, just go down the hall, start pulling this thing. And so he's, and he was, he was loving it. Just like he, he loved that physical challenge, that kind of feeling of, you know, this is a guy who had been in a car accident and really seriously injured. I think for a while they weren't even expecting him to live. And for, to him, for him to be able to do this kind of work was really, you just see his eyes kind of lit up. He also sounded like a steam engine going down the hallway. Like people were poking their heads out the door to figure out what was going on. Okay. So he's going down the hall and he goes down around the corner to like our front desk has to turn around and come back. Okay. And he's going great. Makes the last turn back to the gym. And I was standing next to him the whole time. And I, I stopped because I could see that the basket was going to like clip the corner of the wall and I didn't want to throw him off. So I just, as he was going off, I just gave it a little nudge with my foot to get it around the corner, which threw off his balance. And so all I heard, because I was on the other side of this corner, was this crash. And he had fallen into a door and landed. And I was like, you know, as soon as it happened, I was like, not again. And he landed and he landed on his, I think he must have tried to stick out his right hand. And he's like, he's holding his forearm. He's like, oh, my wrist. And his wrist went like this and then and like he had a oh, yeah. very clear like radial ulnar fracture yeah. again Friday afternoon again this is a Friday afternoon oh. and so I think at that point it was you know he was my last patient of the day <laughs> I think I just said all right I'm gonna get a van I'm gonna take you to the hospital right now I'm not even gonna wait I'm like we're gonna call your wife we're gonna tell her to meet us there and I felt so bad for him. Like, this is the second time we've done this now. Come on, what's going on? And and he the whole time he was like, oh, it's not your fault. It was, it was fun. It was just an accident. Don't worry about it. But yeah, he had to have surgery again on that one. Um, yeah. So through it all, I, I, I continued to work and, and uh, everything like that. So it's, huh. was not my, not my best moment, but I mean, hey, happens to the best of us. Yeah, top that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I uh, I haven't broken any bones, <laughs> but I have on more than one occasion. You know, ignored serious signs and yep. been called up by the hospital. Oh no. Yeah. So I told you this while while we um chatting a bit before the episode and i think this story i've told it before but it needs to be told time and time again so i've had this uh patient come in with shoulder pain uh big rustly guy uh not too healthy smoker yeah bit of a drink and uh a bit on a heavy side right you know, not like Oh shit! I don't want him in the elevator. <laughs> so I forgot, you know. But a big guy. Yeah, a big guy, and um, shoulder pain. You know, history of uh, more work, more loads, working in con- constructions and sure. clearing and uh, everything. And and so, okay, shoulder pain. Okay, increased load the period before pain. Check. Yeah. Uh, every you know Hawkins Kennedy test check 
neat check, <laughs> croissant check, yep. isometric, uh, you know, lateral rotation check. <laughs> Every, so everything just fit it, and uh, yep. and we kept on all. Yeah, this is you know, overloaded, you know, rotator cuff turning up the clear and cut. Yeah, clear as day. So, Couldn't be. Yeah, clearer. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it hurts when I lift my arm from 90 degrees and up. And uh, so we started working on it and, uh, and um, you know, it didn't, you know, it didn't change that much, a little better maybe than worse again. And, uh, and, you know, but again, have to be patient, right? These things can take time. Yep. And we kept on working, and we kept on working, and really changes. And uh, suddenly, a couple of days after I last seen this guy, I got a, a phone call from him, from himself. Okay. And he was like, "Hi, Martin." I'm like, "Yeah, hi, hi. How are you doing?" Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm at the hospital right now, and oh, no. <laughs> uh, so I was working, you know, cutting wood and stuff, and I felt really funny and. Uh, Felt my heart racing and everything, so I just called an ambulance. And uh, it turns out I had a blood clot, a couple of blood clots in my lungs, Jeez. and uh, they cleared those out. And uh, shoulder pain is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What? Yeah, shoulder pain is gone." So, so apparently the doctor says that it's evident that the, the class has been there for a while keeping you know yeah, trouble yeah. and uh so i'm all fine now so you can just wipe our session on monday it's, it's good <laughs> and I might so, need some cardiac rehab but that's a different story yeah that's a different story and, <laughs> and, that, and that was as test textbook as they come yeah right? you can't be more textbook that you're going increase load you got everything less sleep everything and then shoulder pain and of course blood cloth through the lungs yep the rare bird you can't rule out the yeah. rare bird so students of mine i'm going to send this link to you and you're going to listen to it and you're going to realize wow that sounds exactly like what we just talked about in pt681 yeah. <laughs> it happens and it even happens in scandinavia yeah it does the best part is that, um, you know, you want these things. To, these things will happen. Yeah. From time again, it will happen. You you need to tr you, you, you try your best to keep them from happening, but these things will happen. And yeah. But you and me has been lucky that this shit has happened with people. You know, we got a good rapport with and good communication, and, uh, and that helps a lot. Still hurts though, but it oh, yeah. helps. So it's hard to feel like you know what you're doing after a situation like that for a while. Yeah. Like, How did I let this everybody, happen? everybody after that asked me, you know, blood pressure, <laughs> everything. <laughs> I was talking to the GP. I was referring people on and on yeah. and on and on and on. Uh, yeah. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. I'm going to cough again. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I got cancer, I think. Uh, it's a <laughs> plague. Three weeks now. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. But you you said right at the start something about podcasting, doing your own podcast. Yeah. 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 Tell I've, us about I've that. been podcasting in some, some way, shape, or form for 
gosh, 10 years or so. But oh. what I do, oh yeah, but what I do mostly now is I am the co-host of a podcast called Waves, which is the, officially it's the podcast from the state chapter of the American Physical Therapy Association. So the state chapter where I live in Michigan. Oh, damn. But really it's, and it's, it's an opportunity for me to talk to cool therapists who do interesting things and let that it's, it's similar in a lot of ways, Martin, to what you do, because I just want to let them talk and what are they passionate about and why, yeah. why do they do these cool things? Um, so for example, some of the people I've talked to, uh, one of them, she works up in Alaska and uh, in a very remote island and sometimes has to take a little tiny plane to fly to the villages on the island because that's the only way to get there to see your patients. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, worked Reed. with uh, just uh, the most recent episode uh, at the time of this recording that I published is a woman who is involved in like disaster and emergency preparedness, uh, which I didn't even realize was a thing that physios could do, but yeah, it turns out that it probably you probably know about this because I think as, as she said it, just about every other first world country has physios involved in like emergency preparedness plans, but not in the states. So it's kind of a new thing for us. Um, so that was cool. Um, another guy who who works in a you know pediatric oncology ward and, and has to deal with all of the emotional things that go along with that in a in a ward where you're working with some of the most adorable patients in the world who don't always have great outcomes and what that's like, you know, stuff like this. And so it's, you know, selfishly, it's my own opportunity to learn about the cool things that physios can do. But I hope that people who listen to it also, especially if students listen to it, realize like, wow, I can kind of do so many different things, you know, and it's not just working in an outpatient clinic. It's not just working in a hospital. It's, yeah, it, it's it, the the world is your oyster to do whatever you want with it and you can go wherever you want with it and i think that's so cool yeah it's, and it's a cool profession isn't it it really it's, is it's the variety is is enormous and, and and your competence is 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 being used in so many different fields and so many different areas and uh well when i went to to uni and, and studied physio all of us wanted to be you know sports yeah oh yeah i was is the it? same way <laughs> yeah, 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 and then we had this. I remember we had this lecture, you know, big old lady called Helga. You know, and I say it like that because she was a Helga, Helga. and uh, and she was actually a, a, a sports physio. And she before she 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 transferred and and started working as um, uh, yeah within oncology and 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 cancer and stuff, but. She was like, well, I was in my mid-40s. Then I was tired of running after guys with a, you know, <laughs> a, yeah. a, a, a ice pack and a, a, something like that. Oh, she, I, I also I have a good story about Helga because <laughs> on a completely different topic, but it's a good story nonetheless. That's so, uh, you know, lymphatic edema uh, treatment, mm-hmm. you know, lymph, uh, yep. what is it called? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had uh, some lectures in it. And Helga, of course, was the lead lecturer on it. And she okay. she worked at the um, university hospital in Tromsø. Okay. And, and so 
she of course used one of our students or fellow students as uh you know a patient case and this is the guy it's actually he's uh is is engaged to my sister now so oh, you know funny. yeah i hate him but um, <laughs> it's a big lad. It's a very nice lad. It's this Ukrainian lad that uh, moved to Norway when he was uh, just a kid, and now he's made two babies with my sister. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I can never forgive him. But anyway, <laughs> this happened. So, so he was the patient, and he's uh, a big, strong lad, you know. And uh, so he's he's lying there on the bench. Yep. Uh, and Helga wasn't quite happy with how his shorts was aligned. You know, she needed the access and the space. And so <laughs> in front of the whole class, she, you know, took his shorts and you pushed them up into his, you know, groin area. And of course there was, there was a problem and uh, uh, that he is quite, uh, he's okay endowed. Put it like that. Okay. So Helga, you know, age 60-something at this point. Yeah. Big, rusty woman. Uh, in front of the whole classroom, just grab a hold of uh, Vladimir, as it's called, <laughs> junk, and just lifts it up <laughs> and packs it <laughs> into the, you know, the groin in it. <laughs> and, oh, boy. Yeah, no word, no, not anything. Yeah. And just not even an excuse me. to go, yeah. All the way up, and it's going, and I still oh can't remember. You know, the, the fear in his eyes of being manhandled. Talk about trauma. You can talk about trauma. I mean, that's that's a good way to make sure that they're paying attention. Really, is yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh, fuck that is it. crazy. That was yeah. Oh uh, gosh, yeah. completely different topic, but yeah. Helga did manhandle my brother-in-law. That's amazing. Quite, yeah, quite literally. Insane. Oh my god. Well, he's good he's a good guy. I like him. Vladimir is a Vlad's as we call in my family. And he's now engaged my sister. And I introduced him, which I will regret to my dying yeah, days. So it's, but, it's only your own fault. Yeah. Jesus <laughs> Christ. But talking about ego, he had a big ego and I felt like, yeah, you can probably handle my sister. No. So yeah. <laughs> Different story, different story. Oh, no. All right. Okay, but I think this is a good, good place to start wrapping stuff up. We've been <laughs> at it an hour. Is, <laughs> is there anything that we haven't talked about, <laughs> talked about now that you want to get off your chest? Or, or... Um, I feel like we hit the high notes. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's it's encouraging, Martin, to hear that, that you also appreciate, I think, the 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 power and scope of our profession and the effect that we can yeah. have on people. That is, it's a hard thing to teach, and I don't know, I don't think it's taught well, and I don't know of a really good way to teach it yet. No. I'm working on it, but just to really impart, you know, professionalism doesn't mean being stuffy and wearing a suit and tie professionalism to me means doing the best for your patients. And yeah. sometimes that means telling them that you farted in your office and we need to meet out here for a little while. Yeah. And just, that's okay. That's okay. 
Your patient like, probably really appreciated that. Be like, thank God I don't have to sit in that for 15 minutes. Yeah. Cause I've done that too, you know, completely ignoring. <laughs> that's not, that's not a good place. That's yeah, not a no good one place to be. No, 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 no. So acknowledge our faults, bring the humanities in. We're, and, we're uh, all just people. Yeah. And we all fuck up and we break all bones and we, we, <laughs> yeah. Well, you break bones. I haven't broken any bones yet. Not yet. Not yet. You'll tell me when you will, though. <clears throat> yeah, of course. You'll be first to call. Like, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I did it. I fucked someone, someone yep. up real bad. That's good. I'll, but, send you a, also, I'll send you a sticker or something. Yeah. <laughs> Much appreciated. But I also like to, to end this episode with uh, what you said about how bad was the, the scope of the fuck up, the scope of the failure. And I think that's yep. a really good good point to to get out that this is not you know black and white there's yeah. not failures and, and successes there's gray areas and, and the scope of fuck-ups is always something you need to you know get real and get into life with yeah i think to, to take a step back from it and think all right in the big picture how bad of a fuck-up was this yeah all right Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Andy. Thank you for having me. This really was a ton of fun. It. Yeah, it was. Good to finally meet you. You as well. After some... Twi- well, we have, haven't had any twisted discussions or debates, have we? I mean, not, we, we just, haven't like gotten in any fights or anything, no. No, no. We're in the same bubble. The bias bubble. Yeah. Like the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. Kindred spirits. Yeah. That, as it should be. It's not exactly. It's not good. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I did recently did a post on on dry needling and acupuncture, and that fuck me, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> See, I just, oh. I just don't, I just don't wade into those waters. It's oh, not worth it. Jesus Christ! Yeah, don't do it. It's, it's just, it's it's a wise move <laughs> to not step into that yeah. stuff. But either way, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for taking out of the time and doing this stuff and and talking to me. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. uh, Thank you again for having me. Oh, my pleasure, mate. My pleasure. So again, this has been another episode of the Friday Physical Confession podcast with Andy Wicks. And uh, hopefully next time I have Matt along. Matt Broco, you you would have liked him too. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Never responds to my emails or texts, but yeah, he's a good guy. <laughs> he's ghosting you. Yeah, he's yeah, probably. <laughs> he's regretting this whole deal. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Thank you guys for listening, mom. And uh well, we're up to three or four listeners now. So yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Quite. All right, thank you for listening. And have a good night.